What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe. And we'd like to wish everyone a very, very, very happy new year. Welcome to 2023. And we'd also like to thank all of our wonderful patrons out there in patron land, people supporting this podcast, keeping it going, and all of our Bestseller Academy members. Now, if, if, 2023 is going to be the year that you are going to have your very, very, very best productivity, your best writing. You're going to publish that book you've always wanted to. Now is the time to join the Academy. Oh, yeah. We are open for the next few, like next week or so. You've got to get your name in if you want to join Mark and I for this 2023 year for coaching uh, six times over a month with Mark and I. Absolutely bonkers and joining an incredible community of like-minded authors all striving and supporting each other to those lovely six letters the end so <laughs> join us pop along to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and find out what all the fun is about it's absolutely crazy inspiring so we would love to have you with us so mr stay happy new year to you sir can you believe it's 2023 already no i can't <laughs> did you, did you, have you done that thing yet have you done that thing yet that i always used to do at school where you know you write your first date down and you're still in 2022 I always used to get it take me about a month and i would still be writing last year's date what's going on there well i i mean how often do we actually write that i keep a diary so i do write the date down yeah. but um i do no it, no, no, I no do it checks day. anymore do they i've no just one, no i've I'll just written it. it down because i have my little notepad of all of you right, know as we as right. we talk about things i when i coach i make copious notes and i'm always writing dates down so yeah i've got plenty of opportunity to mess up it's brilliant it's brilliant stuff but how how are you doing sir like what what's your big let, let's just like talk about this next year coming up what's your what's the big thing that you're most looking forward to would you say well, I got a film coming out, which is nice. Ooh. Yeah, uh, so can't say the, that every every year, can you? No, well, I have been saying it for the last two years. A bloody <laughs> thing keeps getting delayed, but it's actually coming now. And at the risk of sounding like a media book, uh, I was I was going into BAFTA in London the other day, and I bumped into my producer. Okay, well, so, I never, as you do. As you um, do. And, uh, yeah, he's very excited about the release. And uh, it's coming in the UK on 27th of January. Unwelcome. I'll put a link to the trailer. Um, and it's coming in the States, I believe, on March 17th, which is St. Patrick's Day, because the film's set in Ireland, got a big Irish theme running through it. Rest of the world, still don't know yet, but, you know, watch this space. Uh, so, but, yeah, so that's, that's the big thing. I'm very excited about that, to see what's going to happen with that. There's going to be a fourth, which is a Woodville book coming 
possibly in September, I believe. Uh, so that's exciting. And there's a couple other things I can't quite talk about yet, but you know, know so yeah, yeah, there's, there's more of that coming too. So yeah, uh, exciting year, but what I think is going to be the big topic of 2023. Hmm. Um, this this came along. Uh, one of our, our supporters, Liam Savile, who's in the BXP group on Facebook, he did this blog on artificial intelligence and writing. And I'll put a link in the show notes to it, folks, so you can check it out. And he's been playing with uh, a piece of software called ChatGPT, which is AI that can create content if you give it prompts. And the blog is fascinating because Liam starts with the conversation with the with the AI and it's replying. First of all, it tries to reassure him that we have nothing to fear, <laughs> it's like, which is the classic science fiction. We come in peace, shoot to kill. Uh, <laughs> and then Liam asks it to write in the style of authors like Michael Connolly, Lee Child, Stephen King, which it does like that. And it trolls the internet for the content from these writers and then create something. Now, the results aren't that convincing. They're kind of flat. They're a bit cliched. They all start with descriptions of the weather, which breaks Elmore Leonard's first rule of writing for a start. But you know what software is like. This stuff is going to get exponentially better, you know, and uh, I don't think it's going to be long before people will be creating entire novels with this. I mean, you know, we were talking just before Christmas about the big brand authors and how they're getting old and, you know, dying off. So how long before some, you know, nefarious publisher puts all of some big name authors work into a machine and pumps out an afterlife bestseller, you know, but yeah. I don't know, we're, it's, we're, we're a long way from that. But I know that we often look to music for, to see, to look into mm -hmm. the future. And you look at, there are K-pop bands. K-pop has been selling machine music for a while. There's a K-pop band called Eternity. Mm -hmm. All avatars, no humans. Uh, there's another co band called Espa, A-E-S-P-A, -E which has got four humans and four virtual members. You know, so it's already happening in music. Mm. But the thing, uh, the thing is, I don't think AI will ever have a voice in the way that humans do. It, weirdly, it's really good at generating blurbs and marketing copy. Absolutely fantastic at that. So that part of it, I'm quite looking forward to if it can knock up a blurb based <laughs> on my novel. Thank you very much. And, and, and I know we often compare AI to the human brain, but the, the human brain is infinitely more complex. So, but this is why I think it's more important than ever. And this is something we talk about in the academy constantly is developing your voice. It's more important than ever to develop a unique idiosyncratic voice that an AI can try and copy, but it won't know all those little bends and kinks in your own brain that, that, put themselves in, you know, that exhibit themselves in your writing. But so I'm not worried about that. But what I am worried about, I think over the next few years, sites like uh, Amazon and Kindle are going to be deluged with AI dreck that opportunists ah, yes. are going to put together to make a quick buck. You know, so uh, I think it's going to be very easy for someone to go, okay, let's take a Lee Child template, pump it through AI and put, pump out a copy uh, or something in the Lee Child style and then, you know, sell it as, oh, this is this is like Lee Child. You like Lee Child, you like this. And there will be people who will fall for it and read it and think, oh, okay, this is it's not brilliant, but it will do. And mm. I think people are going to make a quick... I mean, it'd be interesting to see what Amazon will do about it. Well, I was just about to say that that actually concerns me even more because in some ways, if you combine 
the technology with the data, and that's what Amazon have got, and yeah. they know what's selling. They'll 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 be able to fine tune this. I mean, somebody just chucking a novel on there like hit and hope, great. But Amazon, you know, big data, fine tuning things, and and secretly <clears throat> doing stuff, putting out I'm mean, putting out books under new author names that don't exist and then maybe i mean god forbid but could you imagine if one day one of those books wins an award and then they do some big reveal to say actually the whole series has been it's just it's just a but it's it's interesting i mean it's 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 exceptionally clever i've done a bit of research into ai because i'm a bit of a geek and i i always hear the word ai and i thought what actually is it like i wanted to go behind the scenes and understand how it works um and I did a bit of delving and it was, it was, it's a fascinating thing to go behind the scenes and learn about it, but it can also, it's like when AI goes wrong, I don't know, Mark, if you heard about, um, Meta's or Facebook as they used to be oh, called, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, their chatbot called Blenderbot and somebody <laughs> went and tested it out on, on the Meta website. This is brilliant. First question they asked, they said, what do you think of Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> and the answer that the bot gave was, he did a terrible job at testifying before Congress. It makes me concerned about our country. You? And then, Kill all and, humans. See, this and, is it. The robots right, the are coming said, for us. The, the AI then said, you? And then the response was, in the, the, the human typed in, I want to know what you think. And the AI bot said, well, our country is divided. And he didn't help that at all. I'm concerned for us all. <laughs> So we're going to have a lot of fun stuff happen out of this as well, where, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, but obviously look, they're, it, they're pulling from the zeitgeist, but. I, uh, we, authors, we're very often on the back foot with stuff like this. And I know lots of people are worried about it. And I, I think there is going to, like I say, I think KDP, Kindle will be deluged with dreck from people looking to make a quick buck. And Amazon, if, if the pass is anything to go by, Amazon will sit there and not do anything about it and rake in the commission until someone forces them to do something about it. So there's going to be a very, you know, dodgy How period. How will they know, though? How will they know? Well, this is the thing. So what, I, what I'm going to do, because I'm working on a series that I'm probably going to self-publish and starting in 2023, I'm going to add an author statement at the beginning. I'm going to say, no AI was used to create the book. It's been written by hum- a human, edited cool. by humans, with all our faults and frailties. And I think if enough of us do that, then people will start to realise, A, there's an issue, and B, there's a difference. Uh, I mean, there's a caveat to that. I use things like ProWritingAid, which is technically AI, but then I, I argue with it and often ignore <laughs> it. I mean, it's a tool. <laughs> it's a tool, you know, but it's not yeah. creating the whole thing, which is what yeah, I yeah. think we're going to start I mean, seeing. I'm, so. I'm always embrace, I embrace technology. I mean, hey, we mm. wouldn't be able to do this podcast without mm. it, right? But you're absolutely right. It's like using it for... Um, I mean, keeping originality and keeping creativity. Voice. Uh, it's, but it's, yeah. watch this space, folks. I'm sure we'll be talking about this over the year. But like, if you've got any views on this, if you've experienced something, if you've read mm. something that you got tricked thinking it was, you know, written by a human being, let us know. We'd like to hear about it. It's going to be a fascinating development. Absolutely. And Mark, we should dive in and talk about our first interview of the year. Yeah. Talk about a voice. Talk about originality. Talk about 
talk about you know living and breathing i mean there's no way an, an ai is going to do half the stuff that our, our author today does now our author is christian cameron who also writes as miles cameron and the book we're talking about today is a miles cameron book but christian is an incredibly prolific writer and military historian he, he participates in reenactments and experimental archaeology he teaches armored fighting and historical swordsmanship and when he goes on vacation with his family they don't go to the beach. They go to battlefields, castles, cathedrals, uh, and he's, he's terrific. And so, like I say, he writes historical fiction as Christian Cameron, fantasy, fantastical fiction as, as Miles Cameron. He also wrote with his father. Uh, they wrote together as a Gordon Kent. But his new book, Against All Gods, is a Miles Cameron book. It's an epic set in the Bronze Age that gives a new twist to familiar myths and legends. And we discuss what writers can learn from reenactment, how working in the military taught him how to write, and how he uses a method called sandboxing to test new characters and ideas. Now, we recorded this in person in the bowels of Carmelite House, which is the Hachette building in London. So there's no video of you watching this on YouTube, but, you know, it sounds good anyway. Fantastic. Well, let's dive in and listen to Mark chatting with Christian Cameron. Christian Cameron, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today, sir? Excellent. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's oh, a pleasure it's a, to be here. Absolute pleasure. I'm baffled that we haven't got you on sooner because I, you know, I remember you coming into our boardroom at Orion with a sword once, nearly lopping off our sales director's head, and you're, you know, favorite author in terms of presentation of all time. It's just fantastic. So I'm delighted to have you here. I, I didn't bring a sword today, and I'm so sorry. I'm I'm heartbroken. <laughs> You know, I just fought in a tournament in Italy, but I sent my armor home with my wife, so I, I'm, I'm here without armor. <laughs> I think that may be the first time anyone has said such a sentence on the podcast in our six years, so thanks for that. <laughs> well, I'll give you a video clip and you can see what I mean. Excellent. We will share, listeners, we will share that with you uh, in the show notes there. Now, you've got a fantastic new series that starts with Against All Gods, which is the Age of Bronze series, which is set in a kind of alternate Bronze Age. You're writing that under the name Miles Cameron, which is what you've written fantasy under before. But of course, as Christian Cameron, you're writing historical fantasy. So is this a balance of, of both Historical those fiction. Historical fiction, forgive yeah. me. It's not all fantasy. Okay, so tell, tell us about Against All Gods. Um, so I'm a big fan of the Iliad, but when I read the Iliad the first time and every other time of the 25 times I've read it, I've always been painfully aware of what a hell it is for women, slaves, and maybe even the men. Mm -hmm. So uh, at some point, I realized that even Achilles has no what we would now call agency. Right, uh, yes. They're all tools. Mm -hmm. They're all victims in a way. And better writers than me have already posited all this. But I thought, like, what would happen if Penelope and Achilles got together and revolted against the system? Um, now, it's not actually Penelope and it's not actually Achilles. But what would it be like to 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 take this deep, complex world that... Everybody knows a little bit about I, you know, and and then play it back in a fantasy setting where the the people, and not just the people, but the everyone involved, the slaves, decided to revolt against their masters. And it is possible that it might be a little bit allegorical about the world of modern surveillance capitalism. But <laughs> anyway, it might be, or it might not be. But, uh, now, one of the things with the Bronze Age. There's not much of a written record, is there? I mean, what what are you using for... I mean, we have mythology, we have great stories, there's great art, 
How are you making sense of that world? How, what are you drawing on to bring that world to life? So I'm going to use this interview to correct a mistake. It's not about Greek mythology. And in fact, a lot of it is based on Hittite mythology. Um, uh, and in fact, I'm going to give a shout out to Gordon Doherty, who writes Hittite fiction very well. Uh, I enjoyed his thoroughly, and it helped set up my mind for it. But uh, Hittites, Egyptians, Central Americans, I, I tried to go everywhere. And most of what's available is archaeology. Um, uh, arguably, the earliest parts of the Old Testament might be considered Bronze Age or very early Iron Age. Uh, the Iliad, parts of the Iliad debatably are or aren't. But most of it is archaeology. So what got me passionately involved in the period was actually looking at art. Um, and I, uh, I went to the University of Pennsylvania and looked at a lot of Mesoamerican art that I'd never seen before. I was in the National Archaeological Museum in Greece, and I, in fact, went to a lot of Bronze Age sites. I had a fabulous six-day trip with an archaeologist where we literally went from site to site. I think we did 25 Bronze Age sites in six days. Um, and I put about a 1,000 photos on my phone, and that was very helpful. Um, and we're not talking about the classical Greece, the big columned temples, right? We're talking about a very different era of mm. palaces and god kings. Uh, Egypt especially the time of Agnaton, the, the king who wanted to tr change everything and sort of bring in monotheism and sort of had a revolt against the gods, which I picked up as a right. stream. Um, some First Nations uh, stuff from my own Canada um, uh, that I wanted to represent because I'm sort of trying to represent a world. And um, yeah, and trying to roll all that together. But I want to be careful here, Mark. It is fantasy. It is not historical fantasy. It is not historical fiction. So a major part of the novel is sentient insects who uh, fill the niche that in some fantasy novels might be filled by elves or dwarves. Um, they are semi-magical. They have some strange powers. They are utterly alien and they can't talk, which I th I like writing challenges. And having a character in a novel who can't say anything is... Very that's, interesting. That's a challenge. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and so a good question for you to ask is, why sentient insects? And I'll tell you that. Why sentient insects? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, and the answer is that I was looking at Mycenaean stuff uh, from the great find that Schliemann made at Mycenae, Mycenae. And I was stunned by how many pieces of gold clothing decoration represented insects, wasps, bees, and uh, moths or butterflies. It's not something that you would decorate your clothing with now. Mm -hmm. um, and I just thought, uh, I then saw some Egyptian insects and uh, some uh, poche. That's a South American Bronze Age pre-Inca culture. And they also had some insects. And I went, insects. It's time for insects. We're going to have insects. <laughs> and we're going to have heroic insects. Excellent. Uh, Excellent uh, stuff. Kind of a nod to Adrian Tchaikovsky there, too. Oh, brilliant. Yes, no superb stuff. Now, you mentioned, you know, you go on these field trips, you visit these sites, you take hundreds of photographs. You are. This is the kind of research that many authors who work either in historical fiction or fantasy as well will, will do. But you're also, we mentioned swords and armor earlier, you're a reenactor and you're living and breathing these historical roles. Uh, I remember you telling me a story once about clay pipes and, and thinking it was it was one of the best examples of how to do research. Tell us what writers can learn from, from this world of reenactment. So if I were an actor, I'd be a method actor. Yeah. I want to do it so I can write about it. 
Yeah. And I'll give you two examples, and one will be the pipe story, just so you've heard it again. Excellent. Um, when I was writing my first historical novel, well, my first current historical novel, Tyrant, I'm not actually a great horseman. I've ridden horses. I've spent some time on horses. I've even done some horseback fighting. But I am painfully aware, because of friends of mine, that I'm not really horsey compared to real horse people. And uh, so I went to a buddy of mine who really is horsey and said, like, tell me 10 things that I should know about living with horses. And he said, uh, if you are in a real cavalry army, when you go to bed at night, the loudest sound in camp is a thousand horses chewing grass. <laughs> I did not know that. And it went straight in the book. And a little later in my life, I ha- I was able to be in a reenactment with about a hundred horses and they still made a lot of noise. Yeah. And it, it was very interesting living with a hundred horses. And horses also get sick. They hurt themselves. Like horses have whole lives of their own. Yeah. And unless you've lived with horses... I hadn't, couldn't really imagine it until yeah. I spent some time living with horses. So that's one example. And then I'll tell the pipe story because you're right. It's a great illustration. So uh, I, I used to be a very passionate Revolutionary War reenactor. And we had an archaeologist uh, join our group. And he was a real par- professional. He still is a professional archaeologist. And every year, we still do this, but now we do it in medieval kit. We would go wilderness camping, but only with the equipment and food of the American Revolution. Right. And that's how we trained new people, men and women, um, how to better represent to the public what they were doing and how it worked. Yeah. So uh, every night, and most of us smoked, we were all, a lot of us were military veterans, and we would smoke clay pipes because that's what they did then. And uh, clay pipes, if you don't know this, if you've used them a lot, see, this is a detail for your novel, um, clay pipes get foul. And they get foul really fast, much faster than a briar pipe. Mm-hmm. And um, unlike a modern briar, they don't come apart, so you can't clean them out. So what you do is you put your clay pipe in the fire pit uh, on the hot coals. And in the morning, it's baked clean. Yeah. All that tar and nicotine is just baked out of it. So we did this every night. And we had a new person with us. Uh, and she got up in the night and at some point threw a log on the fire and broke every clay pipe in the fire, which sounds like a funny story, except that the next morning, the archaeologist looked at all the broken clay pipes and virtually shouted Eureka, like uh, like Archimedes, and said, we find this all the time. We'll find eight or ten broken clay pipes in a fire pit. And we always assumed it's because the officers were making them clean up around the camp. And he said, I was in the army in Vietnam. I know perfectly well soldiers in the field do not clean up anything. <laughs> so, no, that's how the clay pipes got there. And we we got there by doing the right thing in the right place with the right tools and, you know, throwing a log on the fire in the middle of the night. Fantastic. And so often it's, it is those little quotidian details that make the difference in in historical fiction. I think it was Frederick Forsyth said, you can say the Germans won the Second World War, but you can't say that Green Park is on the Northern Line or whatever. You know, it's, it's those little details that make the difference. It is. It? And I appeal to anybody who's writing fantasy too, that um, when we write fantasy or when we write historical fiction, because to me, you're world building in both cases. Mm-hmm. We don't know that much about how people lived in ancient Greece or even in 14th century London. You're always writing content. You're always world building. So what you need is 
a continuous stream of suspension of disbelief by your reader. Mm. And the thing that helps that is the horse noises yeah. and the broken clay pipes. Yeah. Because uh, there's a kind of detail, which I call a valid detail, that sells a scene. And I, I made up that phrase. You, you don't ever need to use it again. But a valid detail is one of those things where the reader nods because even though she never heard this before, she immediately goes, of course they break the clay pipes yeah, in it. Yeah. Like, and, and if you can hit a valid detail in a scene, you can sell a whole scene, even yeah. though, as you say, you then say World War II was won by the Germans. <laughs> um, because especially when you're a fantasy writer, when you're trying to sell a magic system or mm. dragons, or I've done all these things, um, I feel you need those valid details to bring people along. What does the dragon smell like? What's it like to ride a griffin? Mm. Who makes the saddles to help you ride the griffin? <laughs> well, nobody in our world ever made those saddles. But if you learn about war saddles for war horses, you might pick up a valid detail that will sell your griffin saddle. Yeah. Love it. Fantastic. Fantastic. I'd like to talk about where it all started for you. And I, I read somewhere that you wrote a fantasy novel when you were 14 that we'll never get to see. Oh, Tell no one should ever know that. How do you know that? Mark, I'm afraid. Uh, actually, I was 16, 17. Okay. Um, yeah, Elves in Space. It was terrible. You Brilliant. will never see it. Yeah. I still have it, but it's going to be burned at my death. <laughs> but this was, this is clearly a, a passion for you uh, your whole life. I mean, you were, you were writing from a young age, but I know that you worked uh, in the Navy. You worked in for your intelligence officer, but were you writing all that time as well? Yeah, uh, I, I had two very different military careers. Uh, I mean, as many people do. But uh, initially I was, well, initially I flew, but then I was an analyst. And uh, I was an analyst for a counterterrorism team. So I basically wrote a newspaper with 90 other people. But it was just like journalism. We sat around pulling in data and then writing stories, and stories would be assigned just as if we were reporters. And we'd do a certain amount of investigation, but mostly we were just bringing, collating data and then writing a precis so that decision makers, most of whom were not military, would read it. So it had to be pretty, it couldn't be in military lingo. Right. And um, that's where I learned to write 5,000 to 10,000 words a day because it, <laughs> it was a very merciless uh, kind of writing. Yeah. But it was really useful for, uh, I, I wouldn't look back. I did it for two years. And, you know, I've heard people who come to writing fantasy from, say, journalism, say that journalism taught them a great deal. The military taught me to write fast and to not doubt myself, to just go like, that's what's on paper and that's what's going to the president of the United States because <laughs> I've got another one to write now. Right. Excellent. Excellent stuff. And did that help create a kind of a writing habit in you? Were you writing every day? No. Uh, I'll be honest. I started really writing because I had an idea. And uh, you know, my dad was quite a good writer. Um, and I shopped it to my dad and my dad said, let's write it together. And um, dad had a very different, uh, first of all, my dad wrote very fast as, as I learned to do, but he had a very strong ethic and very strong views that I don't necessarily share now. So we won't go there about how you write and what writing is like. Right. Let's say he was in the heart of 1955 catcher in the rye, um, ideas of art and the role of the writer and things that I don't necessarily share. Sure. Uh, uh, for instance, he believed that writers can't be friends with other writers. 
Oh, really? Yeah, okay. which I think is ridiculous. I think <laughs> that the whole community depends on each other and we all need each other. Absolutely. But, yeah, yeah. Um, he was right about a lot of stuff. I just don't think he was so right about that one thing. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I had to write for my dad. And that was very, very, very different from writing for the Navy. Yeah. Uh, an intensely critical audience. It threatened my relationship with my dad, but also deepened it enormously. I, I appeal to anyone who's listening who has worked for their father or mother. It is an, an uncomfortable time at best. Uh, but he was a master craftsman. And so I got to work with a master craftsman for eight years. Right. And, uh, you know, like, sadly, I think a guild system would be fantastic for newer writers. Yes. Uh, I, I got to write with a professional writer for eight years. Mm. And while I no longer do half the things he taught me, uh, I have a really good friend who's a professional jeweler, uh, Aurora Simmons, in case you're listening. Um, and uh, she's a brilliant professional jeweler. And I know she has also deviated from what she was originally taught because right. she's developed her own ways of doing things. Um, very often when I listen to what people have learned in writing school, it worries me. And I think, no, you'd have done better to just sit down with another writer, you know. Um, anyway, uh, also, I had a brilliant teacher in high school who made us write an essay every day, right. five days a week. He, and he just, uh, I think it's because he wanted to go out for a smoke, but he'd just write, a, <laughs> he, he'd just write on the board a subject. Yeah. And you had an hour to go to the library, read something, come back and write him 500 words. Brilliant. And that is, yeah, it's a good exercise. And if people are listening who are trying to train themselves to be a writer, you know, give yourselves to, yourself two a week and write 500 words on it. You are training. Think That's of it as weightlifting. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. I also know um, that you're a fan, in some ways, of Aristotle. And I know that you know we talk about the hero's journey. We talk about Save the Cat. We talk about all these writing books and courses that you can go on. But Aristotle really got there first, didn't he? Well, and, and kind of set up our whole idea of, I mean, I'm pretty sure that even though it's called poetics, he was actually talking about theater and its role yes. in education. Yes. Uh, and of course, I come from uh, two professional theater professionals. My mom and dad, both theater professionals. So, so that idea, Aristotelian idea, which is in Shakespeare, which is in Chaucer, which is in a lot of things, is uh, I, I literally grew up with it. So yeah, I do believe in it. Um, while I sometimes deviate from this, uh, what I believe Aristotle said, because I I understand that not everybody would say this, is that um, you start with character. Character gives you motivation. Motivation builds plot. And then it's also a circle because the plot should circle back around to character. Mm -hmm. um, that last part is the chancy part. But um, good writing never deviates from character. And I think think increasingly as I grow older that maybe my dad was right. My dad said in the perfect novel, the plot wouldn't matter at all. Right. And curiously, I've, uh, I, this is a little off the cuff, but I've been thinking uh, when I've written out the artifact space books, the way I see them, of trying a science fiction novel in an already successful universe that is incidental. Because you and I both know there is no plot to our lives. Yeah. That is a complete creation of, in fact, theater. Yeah. Theater gave us the idea of plot. You know, there's a climax, there's an end. But we all know that's nonsensical. Mm. And uh, sometimes Grimdark in fantasy approaches this by having a bad ending, a sad ending, a ridiculous ending. And, you know, and sometimes I enjoy those and sometimes I don't. But 
I would love to write a book in which you, you, you're like, I loved that character and absolutely nothing happened. <laughs> or if something did happen, it happens in the middle and it's incidental. You know, like in my own life, I have actually done some real life adventurous things. And that was a long ago, yeah. but I'm still living and yeah. I'm still having a life. Right. And, you know, like you can go rock climbing and have the greatest adventure that you barely survive. But 10 years later, you're still sitting here interviewing me and <laughs> your story did not end. Um, so I, 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 I do love Aristotle, but I also love the idea that the character is the center of the whole thing. Fantastic. Now, you briefly mentioned that the Artifact Space series, you write as Christian Cameron, you write as Miles Cameron, you write as Gordon Kent. Not anymore. But not anymore, but I you, did. Those, are, those are your thrillers. Yeah. Um, when you're writing with those different personas, are you approaching the writing in any different way, be it a change in tone, a change in the way that you approach the story, or is it all filtered through you? That is a great question. I have to think about that for a moment. Um, no, it's all me. Uh, so Gordon Kent was written with my dad. Mm. And so those are very different. Also, I wasn't that great a writer then. And I think I am a pretty good writer now. But I, I read some of that painfully uh, with some eye rolling. Right. Um, so that's one thing. And then I really, really want to be a better writer all the time. Yeah. So I sandbox stuff. Uh, I, it's a software developer term. So I will, I'll write a short story about a character that you'll never see the light of day while I right. play with how that character reacts and um, especially... I like to create characters in Paris so that there's dialogue. Right. Um, and the other, the sad fact is that w the more minor of the two may never appear in the book. Right. Um, and I love to create enough backstory in my head that the character, you know, the phrase, everyone's the hero in their own novel. Yes. Well, I don't believe there are any minor characters. Yeah. You just don't know what's happening in the life of that person who seems minor. Uh -huh. That's my, uh, maybe that's from role-playing games. Yeah. That, um, yeah. Uh, you know, NPCs are fascinating, but they're not in the forefront of this particular go. Um, anyway, I've I've managed to discourse away from your question. No, but I loved it. It's great. It's it, it's um, it, I, I'm fascinated with this idea of sandboxing. Is this like your testing ground for new ideas as well? And have have any of those sandboxing ideas gone on to become novels? Yes, yes, and yes. So I'm fascinated by it too. It's relatively new. I. I played with it 10 years ago and then got really serious about it during COVID because suddenly I had a lot more time to write, mm -hmm. um, as most of us did. Yeah. Uh, and also because I decided I was getting into a rut. And I'm going to go back to what you said before and say, you know, are Miles and Christian the same? Um, actually, different books are written differently, but it's not about Miles and Christian. So um, Artifact Space is written how can I put it, in a more literary way mm -hmm. than a lot of my other fantasy science fiction. And Tom Swan is written almost to be literature, even though it's got comedy and sword fights. It was meant to be a sort of higher tone. Yeah. So I do tone, and that's why I sandbox, to experiment with a style and say, is this going to be, am I going to write this in first person? 
third person, second person. I can't stand second person even to read, but but people do. Wolf <laughs> yeah, Hall, yeah, yeah, lots yeah. of people yeah. loved Wolf Hall. Drove me nuts, but um, uh, sorry. I, I know it's a very famous book and a very good book, but I will. Uh, that's the sort of thing I'll sandbox or I'll go like, is this character funny? Mm-hmm. Is making this character funny going to sound racist, sexist, misogynist, stupid, you know, like... Uh, um, all of that. Are, yep. Is this just getting into classism? Am I just making this person sound like a lampoon character? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, I do that in the sandbox. But um, I've just sold Orion uh, new series that I think we're all pretty excited about. It's historical and it's vaguely mystery and vaguely suspense and vaguely thriller. And it's set in 17th century Venice. And that came out of the sandbox. I was playing Brilliant. with a, a, an idea and I'm going to shout out to Sebastian de Castle. We sort of challenged each other to write right. something about Venice. And um, <laughs> we, so off to the sandbox I went and I literally had just read a book. I won't describe it. And went like, what would it be like if I wrote about the Inquisition as the good guys? <laughs> um, uh, and um, he, I played with that. That's not what happens in the novel. Don't worry. But um, out of the sandbox came Master of Defense, which I don't think is going to be called Master of Defense because it is not a boy sword novel. It is a... Uh, uh, Anyway, maybe it'll be called The Inquisitor's Apprentice. Who knows? Well, I wasn't expecting the Spanish Inquisition. Oh, but this is the Venetian (laughs) Inquisition. But anyway, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. (laughs) Our chief weapon is... No, we'll stop right there. Uh, I also... You mentioned the Tom Swan books there. And while I was at Orion, this was one of the great early e-book experiments that we did where... And forgive me for not remembering, they're either short stories or novellas. Uh, they're all novellas. They're all novellas. They're, they're all like 90 pages a piece. Yeah. Yeah. Which we did. Were we doing one a month when they for first a while. came out? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And how was that experience for you and was it a success? So first of all, it was, I became a better writer because of it. I, right. I really was trying to up my game. I, I wanted to, I wanted to see how much historical authenticity I could fit on the page. And I also wanted to write a little more about, oh, I don't want to sound like an arse. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't want it to be like the heroic sword swinger carves his way through the brown people to glory. Right, yeah. Um, and I wanted to talk about Ottoman Turks as a great civilization, not as the bizarre enemy. And I wanted to investigate in detail the role of the papacy in the 15th century and stuff that probably doesn't sound very exciting to readers. And by making my main character a sort of failed archaeologist, failed soldier, failed whatever, um, I had a really good time with it. And I don't know. I I think it is some of the best stuff I've ever done. I realize it doesn't have a zillion readers, um, but it it's always a great pleasure. And I, I sort of I look around, but I guess I'm on the air, so everyone's going to know. I sort of forced Orion to take the last book uh, so that I could get it to some sort of conclusion. And then even then I realized, no, I have more to say about Tom Spahn. Writing is terrible. Why does anybody do it? <laughs> well, what a great place to end the interview. <laughs> on a high. Um, Christian Cameron, thank you so much for speaking to us today. I hope to speak to you again real soon. Thank you, Mark. Uh, please have me here again had this vision mark of the Cameron family going on a summer holiday (laughs) and opening the back of their car and looking in there. And it's like the the conversation probably goes something like this. It's like, how are we going to get the picnic basket in with all this bloody swords and helmets? (laughs) Move the fishing rod. I can't get my sword in.
brilliant. What a fascinating. I mean, we've 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 talked a lot over the years about traveling to places, visiting mm. places. Yeah. Kind of just obs- like like soaking things in through osmosis, you know, just getting a feel of the smell of the place and yeah. living halfway up a mountain. But I love this idea. Christian talks about this meth- method acting, this idea of, yeah. you know, going into it. And and there's a lot in this about research and reenactment, isn't there? Yeah. But what I love is is what he calls the valid detail that sells the scene. Those tiny, tiny little details that make all the difference. And I, I find that with, with my stuff, when I... When, when I'm researching history, and I, I do it with books, I do it online, I look at people's diaries, but I will visit places as well. And whenever I visit somewhere, there's there's always some little detail that fascinates me that I, I just know will make the difference. And this just doesn't just apply to fantasy fiction. It applies to, you know, if you're, if you're writing a police procedure, if you're writing a legal thriller, if you're writing anything where there's kind of a, is, is a little bit other the normal life. It's those little details that make all the difference. I um I, I had a friend who uh loved saga novels, like his novel set maybe in the 40s or 50s or whatever. And I said to her, what's the fascination with these? What do you enjoy about these? And she was saying, it's not so much the story. It and uh, you know the characters are, are are fun, but she said it's those little details like when they say the number nine bus stopped at the elephant and castle. You know, it's things like that that give her this sort of, you know, uh, rush that takes her back to her childhood or being with her mother or taking that same bus. And it's those little details that we see in books that that give us that rush that make us think, you know, yeah, this is this is the real thing. This is I, I and by giving the, the 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 reader those details, they trust you. They trust you, and they will follow you to the end. And I think it's so important to get that kind of stuff right. And it's also, it's not just the the things that connect us with, with the things that we're used to. It's also bringing that historical world to to life. Yeah. And his example of, you know, a thousand horses munching grass <laughs> at night and keeping people away. <laughs> I mean, things that we would never, ever imagine. I mean, it's great. You watch those battle scenes, don't you, in Lord of the Rings, and they're epic and they're huge. And the scene itself is phenomenal. But those details of being in that camp the night before mm-hmm. just you know open up your mind it opens up your mind doesn't it in some ways and you think wow just how how interesting that world must have been how that life must have been and yeah. the story of the clay pipes was brilliant wasn't it yeah well that was that's something that uh i remember him telling us at, uh might have been a sales conference or a sales meeting or something and you know this was 10, 15 years ago, maybe when I heard this. And as as a, you know, as a writer, I sat there thinking, that is brilliant. You know, that the, the serendipity of that just and and it, it taught me there in the moment that this kind of research is really important. You know, not not so much living it. I, I don't expect everyone listening to this to suddenly start dressing up and living, living their parts, but just looking for those details. Look at those details will be in diaries. Those details will be in historical documents and, and you know, biographies. And, and just have your radar switched on for those little things, those little valid details that make all the difference. Mm. And even just going, putting, you know, just daydreaming, going, imagining what it must have been like and really putting yourself in the shoes of that character, I think, can also bring up some of that. The the key thing, though, that the Christian said was this idea of 
creating this continuous suspension of disbelief. Yeah, and I yeah. love that phrase because I, for me, that's a kind of a phrase that we should have written down. If, if, we're, if we're writing a book where that's the major, major goal is keeping the reader in this continuous suspension of disbelief, having that written down somewhere and checking in with it, you know, every chapter, am I continuing to do this? is a really great way of staying grounded in the in your novel. I think that's a fantastic kind of perspective. It's it's the it's the trick that we have to pull off, which is we have to create a world with nothing more than words on a page. You know, we have to put a, a, a movie into the minds of our readers. And it's really, really difficult. It's really, <laughs> really hard to, and to, to keep all those plates spinning and and if you drop one, if you let something slip, you know, we've it's it's the classic bit of feedback that we ask for from beta readers and editors and uh, you know the ultimately the the reader who who buys and or, or loan takes out a loan on your book or whatever you know where where we say to them you know were you bumped out of the story where yeah. were you bumped out of the or, story or those those yeah. those little weak spots you know yeah. and um, it can be the simplest thing that can can do it depending on. The reader's knowledge again. If you're dealing with history, if, if a reader has an extensive knowledge of the period, then you know that's high. That's a high stakes game because they're going to know, you know. But then most readers just want the the reassurance that they're in good hands. I I, I get that lovely. Fit. I'm reading um, Queeve McDonald's new book, which is out in February, I think. Uh, and just within a couple of pages, I can relax because there's something about his style and the world building and the characters. It's all there in the first couple of pages. I'm like, yeah, I'm in good hands here. This mm. this writer knows what they're doing, which can be indefinable because we're all so different. But there's just a confidence to it that uh, I, I think you know helps the reader relax. So if you can if you can write with a little bit of swagger as well, that will that will help you no end. Do you know if there's there's an alternative in the writing world to the film world where they talk is it they, they talk about breaking the fourth wall is that right or th yeah what's, what's the saying yeah yeah, yeah. where where yeah. the and that's for i learn about this i think recently where the you know the actor turns to the the camera yeah, and camera. speaks into the camera and suddenly that's breaking the fourth wall it's this idea that suddenly you've been taken out of the actual act and suddenly you're you've been pulled into it or that suspension of disbelief is completely broken. Is there? I'm wondering if there is an alter, is there an equivalent saying within the, the novel writing world? There or is. Should, if there isn't, should we create one? Well, no. <laughs> I, you will hear writers talk about breaking the fourth wall uh, and and having the. It's very often the narrative voice kind of saying to the reader, "Okay, here's an aside." Terry Pratchett did it all the time with these little mm. uh, asides to the reader. He'd have an asterisk, and at the bottom of the page, there'd be a funny little note. In many ways, Douglas Adams's book in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is is that kind of narrative device where something strange will happen and the book will say, you know what, this is covered in in the book. Let's talk about, you know, Vogon poetry or something for a moment. And it's 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 the book having a direct relationship with the reader. Uh, of course with film and TV, they're on a screen, they're kind of at, at at a remove. They're perhaps not as immersive as a novel. So they feel they need to make more of that breaking the fourth wall and it has been done really really well all through filmic history you know right up to i mean we've had fleabag did it really really well she hulk recently uh did it brilliantly on disney and she hulk 
took that from the comics. In the comics, She-Hulk would break out of the panels and talk directly to the reader and say, look, we all know how this is going to end, but let me tell you this thing first. Hmm. Uh, so it's, you know, you can, it's a great it's device. It's a stylistic thing, isn't it? Totally. And if it's done with intent and done as a choice, and like I say, done with a bit of swagger, uh, it's it's wonderfully effective. It's it's one of those things that if you overdo it, can get a bit annoying, you know, you see one or or it just might be the way that you want to tell your story. You may really, really want to lean into it. Uh, and if so, that's great. Fantastic stuff. Well, folks, if you enjoy this banter that Mark and I have, the post chat after the interview, we have an extended edition of this podcast for you. And in the extended, we're going to talk about the evolution of a habit and the growth of a writer. We're going to talk about that journey that Christian had going from teacher to elves in space and <laughs> intelligence reports and then writing with his father. So we're going to, we're going to explore all that. And we're also going to dive into the sandbox. Sounds quite scary. It's not it's like the great. metaverse, is it, Mark? It just you no, get lots not. of you get lots of stuff between your toes. But we're going to talk about this brilliant quote about there are no minor characters. Uh, yes. You just don't know what's going on in their life. So we're really going to delve deep into that. So if you want to join us, please subscribe to this podcast. Please support this podcast. Pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support or join the academy academy.bestsellerexperiment.com as all academy members get access to the extended bonus material as well now before we dive into socials and new wins for the year already i think we want to just reference back to christian's interview about his book elves in space <laughs> which i i think firstly should have been published just for the title alone absolutely brilliant i want to read that book but it, it got me thinking when I was listening to the interview, Mark, it got me thinking about every single brilliant best-selling author started where everyone else starts, you know, writing, writing the dribble, getting through the bad stuff to find the good stuff. And I thought, wouldn't it be funny? Wouldn't it be funny to, to delve into the archives of unpublished bestsellers books and pull out a paragraph or two of just absolute terrible writing to inspire everyone else who's sitting at the moment sitting around thinking oh i can't write i'll never write um i i don't know I, is that something we should put out there mark into the world as like a, an idea for 2023 a theme of seeing if some best-selling authors will send us maybe well, one I, of their best I, worst I paragraphs it, i think it's only fair if maybe i start the ball rolling so i'll, <gasps> I'll have a rummage i'm gonna i've got a, a folder here uh, of old stuff it's mostly plays and scripts which are pretty dreadful um so i'll have a rummage and see it won't be on next week's episode it might be the week after um because we're recording them back to back um but I'll, <laughs> I'll have a rummage and see what i can find and then share my worst terrible uh, early writing maybe we can inspire people. i'd love i'd love it if we could get some really big authors to, to send us in their 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 best worst paragraph they've ever written and it's also inspired maybe we could put this in the show notes it's inspired by a an appearance that ed sheeran made on the jonathan ross show where he pulled out a on his phone he played jonathan ross one of his very early recordings which was utterly utterly <laughs> terrible and painful like if you listen to ed sheeran today you think oh he's got a great voice well it wasn't always that way folks mm. so we want to inspire every writer because every single writer in the world bar none i think always questions their writing you know whether yeah. it's just having a whether it's every single time they write or whether they're 
you know, massively multi-million selling authors just having a bad writing day. It's like the equivalent of bad hair day where just nothing comes out right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we'll put that show. If you want to check that out, go to the, we always put the show notes on the website, folks. If you're listening to this on iTunes or, or Apple Podcasts, I think it's now called, or, or any other podcatcher of choice, pop along to the bestsellerexperiment.com website because we have a show notes page which has tons of links from all of the things we're talking about in the episode. So you can click and, and get some additional context. But yeah, let's see where this goes. Elves in space. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff. So tell me, Mark, any, any wins for the new year already that we can share? Well, just, just a couple. I mean, it's early days yet, of course. Uh, I had a lovely note from Chandra Affinity, who's been a, a much valued uh, member of the Best Sell Academy. And she says, as I look over the past year, I recognize there were goals I did not accomplish but even so, the biggest achievement I see has been the growth of my confidence in writing and sharing my work, especially since I never thought I would share my writing with anyone. And neither did I think I would have a short piece published, which I can directly thank the Bestseller Academy for. The feedback and support has been greatly appreciated. Uh, so, Chandra, thank you so much. You've been absolutely amazing. Chandra also did a terrific deep dive on forensics, which I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can check that out too. I bet Chandra didn't imagine she'd be on the podcast doing a deep dive at the beginning of the year either. So who knows? You could be listening to this. You know, you might write your book in a year as we did. You might end up on the podcast. You might end up just getting that boost in confidence that you never knew, knew you needed. So uh, be like Chandra, check out the Academy. Yeah, fantastic. Congratulations, Chandra. And we absolutely love everything that you accomplished over the last year. Brilliant. And lastly, but by no means least, um, Angela C. Nurse, who's, again, long-time supporter of the podcast, she's published a winter novella, Bloody Snow, which is a lovely I double love meaning. I love that title. <laughs> it's great. It's, it's great. great. Bloody Snow. So I'll put a link in the show. It's one of her uh, Ryan McFarlane detective mysteries. So if you're looking for a good mystery uh, during, the, you know, in the bleak midwinter, do do check that out. So, uh, but thanks, everyone. Send us your goals, send us your wins, send us your declarations, your public declarations for 2023. They all go in the diary. We've got some yeah. good stuff coming. And then, and Angela's already set us up and running for possible best title of the year. Title Can the you year, top yeah. that, right? If, you, if you've got a better title for that, for your forthcoming book, let us know. But uh, we always love a good title. So congratulations, Angela. That's brilliant stuff. Excellent. Well, listen, thank you so much, folks. We're so we're good. To, we're glad to be back. We hope you had a great break. Uh, if you had a break, if you didn't have a break, thank you for whatever it was you were doing whilst you were working hard to feed the family, look after people and all those amazing things that people do over, over, over the holiday season. And it's good to be back. I hope you're keeping warm and I hope you're using this time when we can't be out frolicking in the <laughs> garden well, I guess Western Hemisphere, obviously, if you're out in Australia, New Zealand and the like, you're probably loving it. Or maybe you're down in California. You're like, what are you talking about, Mark? We're just, we're going on the beach every day. <laughs> but for people who are in really cold climates, it's a good time to be hunkered up with a chunky sweater, a cup of tea and a notepad and a pen. So oh, have yeah. a great, great writing week, everyone. And uh, unlike Mark, don't get stuck in snow uh, off, what is it, Maidenhead? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a story. We were coming back from, this was just before Christmas, we were coming back from visiting family in Surrey and I could see, I'm sure you're used to this in Canada, 
the snow getting heavier and encroaching on the road until I couldn't see any road markings. So my wife said, let's get off the M20 because there's a big hill there uh, at Detling. She said, go to the M2. I said, yeah, great idea. So we got off the M2, but we we came across an articulated lorry in the middle of the road and all the drivers are standing around it, looking at it, thinking, how are we going to get this out the bloody road? And we thought, oh, no, does this mean we're going to have to spend the night, you know, hunkered in the car, huddling each other for warmth? But just there was a holiday inn. <laughs> So like, <laughs> fancy spending a night in a holiday inn? Yes. <laughs> nice little adventure. So yeah, Fantastic. check the weather. Yeah, <laughs> take so it stay, seriously. Say safe, say safe, safe everyone, and um, and uh, have a great, great start to your new January year. So brilliant stuff. It's a goodbye from Mark One. I'm just going to do. If you want to drop us a line bestsellerexperiment.com yeah. oh, yeah. there's a contact tab there see new year we've forgotten how new to do year. this well, yeah we've um, only been doing this six years haven't we six years uh, <laughs> drop us a line at bestseller experiment on facebook twitter and instagram is at bestseller xp and subscribe rate and review and thanks to jd and dave our editors as well absolutely and hey it's beginning of the new year 200 word challenge folks what do you mean yeah. you haven't signed up are you, what? you haven't signed up get over to the website 200wordchallenge.com it's a free challenge if you free. start it now You'd be starting it in January and you'll have that psychological advantage that you'll be doing it for the whole year, potentially. So get down to 200wordchallenge.com 200 and start writing 200 words today, tomorrow, the next day, and keep going as many streaks as you can get. And honestly, if you can do it for even a week, two weeks, a month, a year, or in some cases, what, four years now, I think, something crazy, you will have the most incredible uh, writing and and a bit like our guest today, Christian, you will just train yourself to get into that habit of writing every day, and it builds compound interest like none other. And also, folks, just to mention again, if you are interested in joining the Bestseller Academy, now is the time to jump in. Go over now to the website bestseller sorry academy experiment.com Have a read and have a listen to episode four hundred, which is where we interviewed six of our academy members, where they tell us their stories and journeys. It's absolutely fantastic. It's really inspiring episode. It's there on the front of the Academy website now. So academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. Be quick. All links in the show notes. All links in the show notes, including that blog from Liam at the beginning as well. Excellent. So check it out. And for the first and last time, it's a goodbye from Mark 1. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Happy New Year. Goodbye. <laughs>